Welcome to the Reactive Attachment Disorder Parenting Podcast, where we share tools and resources for transforming your rad kid into a family kid. The information and advice given in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for seeing a licensed therapist. If you are involved in a therapy program or under medical care, consult your health care professional before making any changes to your regime or engaging in any exercises mentioned. If you'd like more information on RAD therapy or would like to connect with a RAD therapist, schedule a session or teleconference with me by visiting my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. Hi, this is Tracy, and today I am talking about dealing with complex trauma within the family systems approach. It's going to take the entire family and an entire team to help anyone, especially a child with complex trauma. Let's define complex trauma. Complex trauma is the result of two or more traumatic events or one highly significant event. And the potential impact of trauma increases with the number, significance, and the time between events. So complex trauma is when there are multiple events of neglect, abuse, emotional, spiritual, physical events that happen over a period of time and they build on top of each other and it becomes complex. It's not one simple event that's taken place, which also can be very traumatic and have a huge impact. But we're talking about the complexity of several events of trauma taking place on top of each other. So before you can even begin therapy and addressing complex trauma, it's always really good to have a thorough evaluation, a psychological, neurological evaluation done on your child that's coming in for therapy. We want to make sure that there aren't any any organic brain uh, injuries that would prevent the child from being able to move into complex thinking, um, conceptual thinking. So before starting therapy, it's always a great idea, if possible, to have thorough testing done. A complete neurological and psychological testing is, can be very beneficial so that we can be sure that there aren't any traumatic brain injuries that would impact your child's ability to integrate and understand and be able to process the information and their trauma. The other thing to take into consideration is what medication your child is on. Sometimes I see kids that are on multiple medications and medication can be very useful, but when a medication is medicating a side effect of another medication, Sometimes it gets really complicated and the medication may not be benefiting the child. So it's always good to really have a good psychiatrist on board that's willing to support the therapy, is willing to negotiate how much medication your child may or may not need. Also, life changes are useful. Diet, exercise, how much sleep your child is getting. Sleep is kind of critical for our emotional well-being. So there are three parts to sleep. There's getting to sleep, 
staying asleep, and waking up. And if your child is struggling with going to bed and falling asleep, that's one issue. If your child is struggling with staying asleep, that's another issue. And if your child is struggling with waking up in the morning, that's another issue. And they may have any combinations or all three of those, or that might vary depending on what kind of night terrors or triggers are happening for them throughout the night. So we really want to take a good look at how well they're sleeping. And then we want to look at therapy. Therapy is critical. It is one component. The, actually, the biggest component to this is the parenting piece. So you can't just come in and drop your child off to therapy and expect the therapist to fix your child. This is a family systems approach. The parents are highly involved and need to be in helping heal a child from complex trauma. When one comes into therapy, the first thing that I want to establish is trust with the parents. I want you to be able to trust that I have your child's best interest at heart, that I know what I'm doing, that my advice makes sense to you. And if by any chance my advice does not make any sense, I highly recommend that you let me know. Um, my suggestions are going to simply be suggestions, encouragements, more tricks in your bag. And they may sound really good in the office, but once you go home and it doesn't make sense or it's not going to work for your family, then we need to reorganize and recreate suggestions and recommendations. So really, I'm here to develop the trusting relationship with mom and dad and to create a sense of safety and a strong, firm, safe, boundary-filled environment for your child to be able to deal with their complex trauma. child needs to feel safe with me and know that I'm bigger and stronger than any of their anger, grief, and fear. And my job is to help you develop a healthy relationship with your child. So I'm not here to develop a trusting, healthy relationship with your child because they're not coming home with me. I'm here to transport that onto you so that you can go home with a healthy child that's willing to be in relationship with you. So the primary focus of education and treatment needs to be on the relationship, the relationship between myself and the parent, the relationship between the parent and the parent, the relationship between the parent and the child. The relationship between your child and myself is one based on security, safety, and setting firm and clear boundaries so that your child can begin to deal with their complex trauma. What I want to help your child do is develop a relationship with themselves so that they can trust themselves to discern if they should be or should not be in relationship with you. So many kids will say, oh, I don't trust Miss Tracy, I don't like her, and that would make sense. It's hard to trust someone else when you don't trust your ability to feel safe in your environment or within yourself. So healing starts with safety. And safety is experienced through touch. Touch displays affection. Touch gives us the understanding that we have boundaries. This is you, this is me. We get to push up against that touch and touch awakens our nervous system so that we know that we are a differentiated being from our moms. You know, without touch, babies 
would have failure to thrive and they would probably shrivel up and die. So touch is really important. Sound, the vibration of one's heart is the first sound that babies hear and it's critical. They hear their mother's heartbeat, they hear their mother's voice, they hear the vibration of that mother's essence and that's what established a sense of safety or not. So many kids who are adopted obviously are not with their birth family and there is a disconnect there especially if there's been trauma in utero from drugs, abuse, physical, emotional, sexual abuse with the mom, the mom hasn't been able to get the help and care that she needs through her pregnancy, she's denied the pregnancy, a number of events can happen in that, from, at that conception and in utero experience. And it's really critical that we begin to address that because that's what lays, lays down the foundation for how they establish a relationship with you. And when there's a disconnect and trauma in those first nine months of life, they're gonna, it's going to be reflected in your relationship with your child. So we need to kind of go back and redo that. So we want to give them the sound of our voice, to give them the sound of our heartbeat, to be able to know that our touch is a safe touch. And movement instills trust. The swaying in the water gives a baby a sense of security of being held. We're not, depending on that in utero experience once again. And that's many times where you'll see parents holding a child, even though the child may be beyond the age of an infant, and really being the Velcro child. You know, have that child on you if possible, have that child near you, hold that child as much as possible. Now, easier said than done, particularly many children don't want to be held. They don't want to be touched and they certainly don't want to listen or feel comfort in the sound of your voice. So that's what we're going to talk about because there's a disconnect that's happening there and that's the beginnings of complex trauma and that's what we need to recover from. So let me recap. Healing starts with safety and safety is experienced through touch, sound, and movement in a healthy environment. So how do we recover from that not being a healthy environment? We're going to start with movement. Movement is going to help establish trust. So what do we mean by movement? It's reaching towards your child, allowing them to reach towards you. It's giving them that opportunity to explore their environment without being destructive and wide open in it. So we want to give them really clear boundaries. There's a lot that happens through the eye-to-eye -eye contact in the nervous system. It allows it to calm down a little bit. Moving in the direction of your child can be associated with the beginning steps of touch. This doesn't have to be a long snuggle time. This is a very simple, clear, hey, I see you, it's okay, I'm going to be right here for you. Smell brings up lots and lots of triggers. You know, remember, smell is probably the last sense that goes, and we remember our grandmother's smell. Smells of cinnamon, of cookies, of chocolate, of other things can bring 
good, bad, indifferent memories. So smell is kind of critical. So smell is all about intimacy. Sound is also vibration. The vibration of the heart is sound. And kids with complex trauma are really hypervigilant to sound. They're very alert. Their, their ability to hear is really amazing. You can have a child up in the third floor and you're downstairs having a quiet conversation with your partner and that child will hear every word you say. Now granted, if you call them to come down from the third floor, their excuses be, I didn't hear you. So it's selective hearing, but they're hypervigilant to it. It's a vibration and they're aware of everything that's going around them. So if it feels like they need to be alert, They're going. their hearing is going to be amazing. So sound can have a huge impact on healing trauma. Our senses begin in utero and they develop in response to the experience in, in utero. And once you're born and the experience that we have and the interactions that we have are going to lay down the foundation for how we interpret our world. Touch and movement develop first, and that establishes the baseline for smell, hearing, and vision. So we want to go back to touch and movement. So it's good to have your child be really active. Now, that's not putting them in sports. That's just giving them space to explore and move within their body. And we'll talk more about that in another podcast, and I'll go into a lot of detail about how floor exercises, giving them a chance to be on their belly and rolling and discovering how to sit up, how to roll over, how to get to standing, how to walk, even though they may know how to do these, these things, how they went about learning them may not have given them the best foundation for feeling secure and safe and balanced in their body. And that's critical when it comes to healing complex trauma. It's through our senses that we receive information. From our internal environment, which is basically ourselves, so inside ourselves, and the external environment, which is outside of ourselves, which is another being or just the environment that we're in, we have a choice of being receptive and accepting and absorbing the information that's coming in externally, and that would be a bonding experience, taking in our environment, particularly if it's with another person. Or we can reject that and block it out. And that would be a defensive mechanism. So I'm talking about our senses that begin in utero and they develop in response to the experience in utero. Therefore, movement and touch develop first and establish the baseline for smell, hearing, and vision once the child is born. It's through our senses that we receive information from our internal environment, which can be in utero and within ourselves, and then the external environment, which is what's outside of us and other beings. So we have a choice of being receptive and accepting and absorbing information or rejecting and blocking it out based on our experience within ourselves, within being in utero, and how that lays the foundation for our 
relationship with our external world, which is with others, which would be our birth mother initially, uh, or, and then with our adoptive family. Okay, so now I'm going to confuse you with what is developmental trauma. We have complex trauma, and we have developmental trauma. And developmental trauma is really based on the developmental path, age, that trauma is experienced. So children who experience trauma between the ages of conception and age three would, might be labeled with developmental trauma. So if a child is conceived and born in a trauma environment and that's all they know, then their trauma environment is going to feel normal to them. And so when you take them out of that environment and put them into a loving, secure, safe environment, they're going to show a lot of complex trauma issues because it's going to be a disconnect. How they know to survive in the world of trauma and neglect and abuse and how they know to survive in a world that's safe and secure don't match up. And so we see a lot of complex trauma issues arise, particularly when a child has had developmental trauma from conception in the first three to six years of their life, where all they've known is how to be in the moment, to be in survival mode, to be operating out of, I see it, I want it, I take it, being hypervigilant and being completely aware of they can only rely on themselves. So to expect them to be open and receptive to having this loving relationship with you is against their nature and feels to them very scary and uh, unreachable. Their central nervous system gets wired completely different and parenting them is not innate and requires a lot of patience and a willingness to provide boundaries, structure to almost like a wild animal. So a child with developmental trauma slash complex trauma will have an internal negative working model. Their sense of themselves is not that they're lovable. Their sense of the world is, is that it's not a safe place to be. I can only rely on myself. And if their needs are not being met, then there must be something wrong with them. That's how they survive because that's what gives them control. I'm in control of myself, and therefore, if I'm not getting love and what I need, it must be because I'm unlovable. And if I'm not lovable, then I must be not important. And if I'm not important, then I'm not worthy of being in a relationship with. And so why bother trying to be in a relationship? And if I'm not important, then why would anyone want to take care of me? And if one doesn't take care of me, then I will die. And I, therefore, must be taking care of myself. So let's take a quick look at the impact of trauma on the nervous system. 
Trauma wreaks havoc on the autonomic nervous system and on one's ability to regulate their emotions, to regulate their, their body, to be able to regulate their nervous system. The sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems respond rapidly to the messages being received by the central nervous system. And this affects one's ability to develop trust, intimacy, and social engagement. So there is this catch-22 effect on a negative working model, as well as a positive working model. For kids with complex trauma and developmental trauma, um, they usually are operating off of a negative working model, which means that their needs are not being met, which equals internally for them to feel in, about themselves like, I do not exist. I'm not important. And that gets reinforced by their behavior. Um, they have a terror of dying and being hurt, being killed. And they truly believe that they're not worthy of being alive. They're not lovable. I'm a bad kid. I'm not lovable. So let's take a look at this in the cycle of development. A baby experiences discomfort, a need, they're hungry, their diaper's wet. A baby protests by crying, and we begin as moms to recognize what those cries are. My baby's hungry, my baby's is in discomfort, my baby's needs a change. But what happens typically for many of these kids is the mom does not respond or is inconsistent in the response or the child's in an orphan and orphanage and there are so many babies and only very few caregivers and so the child's needs do not immediately get met. The baby may protest louder initially um, and if there is still no response, the baby becomes internally angry um, and rages might get a little bit louder in their cry um, or some kids may just become quiet and recognize that their needs are, gonna, are not going to get met and therefore there's no need to cry out. Uh, and their ability to trust that their needs are going to get met diminish. And they recognize that they can only rely on themselves. And there begins the first steps of disconnecting from the natural course of development, which is I cry, my mom responds, my needs get met, I get to settle in and feel safe and secure. And that cycle happens a million and one times within the first year, two years, three years of one's life. But when a child is in a neglectful, abusive, horrific environment, those needs may not be able to get met and the child learns to only trust themselves uh, because they know that the external force is not going to come and give them that comfort. And they develop a, an internal negative working model. If my needs as a baby are not being met, then there must be something really wrong with me. If there's something wrong with me, then I must not be lovable. And if I'm not lovable, then I must not be that important. And if I'm not important, then no one will take care of me. And if no one takes care of me, then I might die. And I will die because I'm unlovable. And you see this in our kids. 
they can go through the motions and they will try on some extent or they may just give up. So one of the adaptive survival styles that I see in kids is the ability to disconnect from painful events internally and externally. We're all born with this ability to disconnect from painful experiences and we're continuously working to avoid pain um, internally and externally. You know, no one likes pain. Now, how does one perceive pain and what is painful to us is based on our ability to adapt and perceive our experiences from the moment we are conceived to the day we die. Let's just say for the sake of simplify, simplifying things, that impact of trauma on the nervous system wreaks havoc on the nervous system. And the wiring in our nervous system is on overload. So someone who's had a lot of trauma, their nervous system is gone on is going to be on high alert, it's going to be hypervigilant, it's going to be way over the top, it's going to be like an electrical outlet that's just firing on all levels. That can be exhausting to live with and chaotic, but to the child, that's the norm. And for us, it feels chaotic as the, as the parent or the therapist. So how do we not get triggered and get into a power struggle and move up to trying to meet their high level of hypervigilance and alertness is the tricky question. And that's where the therapy comes in. That's where the parent coaching piece comes in. That's where all kinds of amazing tricks in your bag come into being really useful. Because we want to take the child by surprise, not, not literally by surprise in the sense that we're jumping them, but more in that we're getting them to stop and pause for a moment and to reconsider that there might be something else versus that chaos that feels so comfortable to them. And it's going to be a process because bringing down someone's nervous system to a level of ease takes a lot of effort, a lot of creativity, and a lot of patience on both ends. So the coping skills that our child learn early in their lives that helped them survive throughout their earlier years or in any given trauma that they've made have experienced, over time becomes really rigid. It becomes solidified. And it becomes their belief system that they're working off of. It's, and they see themselves based on what they've experienced. It becomes our belief system on who we are and what the world is like becomes our identity. And that's true for us as parents as well. You know, if we see ourselves as a good parent because we've had success with other kids, then that becomes our identity. And when that gets disrupted and when that begins to crack, we begin to feel really hopeless, helpless, and angry that our identity is being shaken up. And that's true for our child as well with complex trauma. If our child sees themselves as a negative 
unworthy, unlovable kid, and we're trying to spoon feed them that they're lovable and worthy, we're trying to shift their sense of identity. And that can be really disconcerting to them. So we have to take into consideration that what was once adaptive can become kind of an imposed prison to, to, to our child. Meaning that what worked once for survival is not, has become a limitation in another setting. So what worked for them in the orphanage of I see it, I want it, I take it, of crying out loud or throwing fits or being sneaky or hoarding food, those skills are becoming a limitation in their new world. So we try to take those skills away and we try to replace them with something else, but we also have to take into consideration that we're insisting that our child change their sense of identity, that we, we change their sense of self. So basically, on a neurological level, I'm talking about Herb's Law, H-E-B-B-S, his law, which is basically saying that cells that fire together wire together. So when things solidify and are working, those cells are going to bond together and really fire in that memory. This wiring together is the mechanisms of learning and adaptation. So our child is learning to adapt and is learning their sense of who they are based on what cells are getting fired together. So if they, and this starts at a very, very early age. So if their sense of self-worthiness is low, and that they're not lovable, that's what's gonna get solidified and wired together. So on a physiological level, what we need to do is support new growth and healing, and that's about modifying the firing patterns. And that takes time, and that takes a lot of going back and redoing things, going back and redoing the movement patterns of early early, early development. It's back going into rewiring the senses of touch and movement and smell and sound. Our nervous system is shaped by our experiences. So when stress levels are consistently high, pathways get connected. Other circuits adapted to, for that stress get strengthened and the emotional and social pathways are weakened because that's not important right now. Survival is. So we really need to, the child is really working on not so much on an emotional and social level, they're working on a simple survival mode of operation. And they can't imagine another way of being. So in therapy, and even at home, we wanna slow down to allow healing to take place. We want that expansiveness. We want to create ordeals where there's moments, teachable moments, when the child gets the opportunity to experience different pathways. We want to be giving attention to sensations and emotional responses as they are experienced, and we want to acknowledge them. We don't necessarily want to condone their emotional outbreak, but we certainly want to acknowledge it. Ah, I can see that you are feeling really sad right now. I can see that you're really angry about that. And we give them space to acknowledge what it is that they might be experiencing. 
staying present in this allows for the new neurons in their brain and the connections to happen and we're building new networks. We're giving them new pathways to experience who they are, what they're all about. It's also good for us to remember that our brains take each stimuli and process them in different parts of the brain. Let's take a look at trauma and how trauma affects our ability to communicate. So basically what we have here is a failure to communicate within ourselves and with others. So our child's ability to communicate and regulate what's happening inside for themselves is disrupted and therefore their ability to communicate and interact with you is disrupted as well. Because the trauma instills this, this failure to integrate the sensory input of any given event into a coherent story. So we just get bits and pieces of their story and, and the ability to recall for processing becomes limited. It, gets, it goes around and around without the ability to pull in any other connections. So the trauma is kind of happening in the brain on a hamster wheel in the amygdala part of the brain where there's no sense of time. And so therefore a trauma can feel like it happened yesterday or instead of two years ago or five years ago. And so how they're operating and communicating and interacting with us is going to be based on that wiring, that hamster wheel that goes around and around and around that is their center of operation. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you found this podcast useful. To add more tips to your bag, scheduled teleconferencing sessions or intensives with me, visit my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com, where you can schedule session, sessions, access other podcasts, and additional support resources. Please be sure to sign up for the newsletter to receive parenting tips, access to webinars, and exclusive content. Take a moment to subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. If you have any questions that you would like answered, feel free to email us at tracy at gmail.com. As always, much gratitude to the folks at Love & Logic, Nancy Thomas, Daniel Hughes, and many others for teaching throughout the years on reactive attachment disorder. Until we connect again, remember that you are not alone. Find the humor in the chaos. Stay consistent in your efforts and continue to reach out. I am here healing your heart to heart connection one heart at a time.